Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're continuing to explore seven sets of important prophecy terms, important prophecy terms, and we're looking at the um, comparison and, more importantly, the contrasting of these seven sets of terms. And we're in point number one, and you'll find that on your worksheet if you go to the radio station website here, as the announcer has uh, told you. You can find that website, uh, and within that you click on Exploring Bible Prophecy, and it'll take you to the Exploring Bible Prophecy webpage there, and within that you'll see each of the weeks of uh, worksheets that you can download and follow along with us. And we have um, been looking at the use of the term the Son of God uh, throughout um, the New Testament. And in our last program, we were in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. So if you would turn there in your Bibles as we get started in today's program, this is a key passage, I believe, in the ministry of Christ, because this is the uh, the inflection point, if you will, between the two ministries. Yes, Jesus had two ministries while he was here on the earth, and understanding the difference between those two ministries is, I know it was for me, it was an amazing eye-opening experience in helping me understand the flow of God's plan in dealing with mankind. Because all through the Old Testament, God had promised Israel. And again, we have to understand that it's Israel. And I know that there are more and more uh, denominations that want to uh, downplay the importance of Israel, if not just do away with Israel. They wish Israel would go away. Well, frankly, according to God's Word, or at least according to my study of God's Word, those who want Israel to go away are doing the work of Satan, because it's Satan who wants Israel to go away. And we mentioned it, if you've been following us for the last few programs anyway, you know that a couple of programs back we were talking about Satan and about how Satan deceives, and one of the main focuses of Satan is to do away with any one or anything that would facilitate the return of Christ to the earth. Remember, we talked about how Satan gained control of the world. He is the prince and the power of the air. The Bible tells us that he is the king of the earth, and he was made that when Adam and Eve, who were given dominion over the whole earth, lost that at the fall in the garden. And that became the possession of Satan. 
And we know that because when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right after he started his ministry, one of the first things that Satan offered Jesus, if Jesus would bow down to Satan, he offered him the world. Well, you can't offer something if you don't possess it. And we know that he possesses it, and he will possess it until Jesus comes back and takes it away from him and and takes it back, which is rightfully his anyway, because this the world is God's. So Satan doesn't want Jesus to come. And the only way, the Bible tells us very clearly in Matthew 23, verse 39, that Jesus told Israel the focus of God's intention in the whole Old Testament was Israel, it is Israel, his wife, um, that he would not come back until Israel said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, the only way that Israel is going to say that is if they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as their promised Messiah, as their promised King. And we know from the scriptures that they will do that, but it's going to take the terrible seven-year tribulation to get them in that position, that they are literally and figuratively going to have to be taken to their national knees as a people group to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then we know from Ezekiel and other places that when Israel is judged by Jesus at his second coming, two-thirds of the Jews that are living at the time Uh, At the end of the tribulation, two-thirds of them will be counted as unrighteous and will be sent to Hades. And only a third of the Jews on the earth at that time, at the end of the tribulation, at Jesus' second coming, will be counted as righteous. And consequently, uh, that's confirmed in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, where it says, and all Israel will be saved. At that point in time, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, with Jesus sitting on his throne, he will have judged Israel and found one-third of them to be righteous. So when the millennial kingdom begins, every single person, every single Jew in Israel will be saved, will be counted as righteous. So consequently, that is the the background, the foundation for that Romans 11 26 statement that is I've I've heard very senior pastors um, from different denominations say that's the church that can't be Israel well it's definitely Israel and the Old Testament corroborates that well Paul corroborates it too if you want to read Paul literally but uh, the Old Testament definitely corroborates that so it's important it's important to understand that Satan, does not want Jesus to come back, and he wants to do anything he can to deceive the world into destroying Israel. Because who is it that has to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Israel, not the United States, not Russia, not, you know, Trinidad, Tobago, to try to think of a super, super small country. It's none of those. It has to be Israel. And if Satan can convince the world to destroy Israel, then he wins. So that's the importance that we need to understand. 
that if we are not supporters of Israel, then we are supporters of Satan. And I, I can't put it any plainer than that because I think that's how plain it is. So when we look at Matthew 16, we're seeing that big distinction. Jesus came to the earth to fulfill the Old Testament promises to Israel. And that was to present himself to the nation of Israel as their king, as their Messiah. And he came preaching the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. It had nothing to do with his dying on a cross, his burial, his resurrection. It had nothing to do with any. He never mentioned that. He was talking about believing in him and who he was, and he was the one that had been sent to Israel. Well, they obviously changed. Um, They didn't change. They just didn't believe what their forefathers had taught them or wanted to teach them if they just study the word of the Old Testament. They refused to believe that, and they they decided they wanted to stick with their idols uh, as their focus of worship and not this man who had been born um, out of Nazareth but was born in Bethlehem. So there were some interesting connections there with David, but they never could figure those things out, and they just decided to deny him because they liked having their own rulers. And, of course, Rome was the king at the time, and uh, their their uh, religious leaders, their uh, high priest and their priests and so forth, they like their power, and they recognize that they would lose that power if they acknowledged that Jesus was the king. So the Jews didn't like him as king. The Romans didn't like him as king because their Caesar was king. So all of this was stacked against Jesus. And, of course, God knew this from the beginning. None of this caught God by surprise. So what Jesus did in Matthew 16 was he got the the apostles to recognize before him that Israel was rejecting Jesus, that they were believing he was some prophet of some sort, but he was not Jesus, the promised Messiah, the promised king. Then Peter makes that wonderful profession in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus proclaims that based on your profession, Peter, that profession is what I'm going to build my church on. That anyone going forward, starting with this profession of Peter, anyone who would profess me and believe in their heart that I am the Son of the living God and and that I did come to the earth, they will be saved but there's going to be a new way that this righteousness will come. And he explains that. So what I'd like to do is we were in Matthew chapter 16, and we went from verse 13 to 18 to make a point. And then I want us to drop down to verse 21. So we're in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. And we see a big transition here. He says, from that time, what time? That time where he... Uh, realized, well, he knew it, but he had the apostles uh, verbally verify it to him that Israel had turned their backs on him as the promised Messiah, as the promised king, that he would build his church going forward based on the profession that Peter made, that Jesus is the son of the living God. Then he said, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside, verse 22, and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Verse 23, but he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. This is so impactful. This is so important to a Christian to understand this, because this is a big transition. This is the transition point between the gospel of the kingdom, which Jesus had been preaching before verse 21, that I'm the king, I'm here, but you have denied me, you refuse to accept me for who I was prophesied to be, and I now represent myself in the flesh to you as being him. You refuse that, so now I'm going to transition away from you, Israel, because you've denied me, and I'm going to turn my focus to a people who weren't even searching for me. And that that is what will be the church. That is you and that is me. And that's based on a belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When you realize, as you study Matthew and you study the Gospels, you understand that with verse 21 of Matthew 16 right here, This is the first time, at least in the Matthew account, the first time that Jesus ever tells his disciples, those are his students as well as his apostles, he tells them for the first time about his death, burial, and resurrection in Jerusalem. They'd never heard that before. And, of course, you see the reaction from Peter. He says, hey, this can't possibly be, Lord. You're here with us. We want you to be king. We want you to bring your kingdom in. We'll figure out some way to get these hard-headed Jews to change their mind. Well, Jesus knew that they wouldn't change their mind and that they won't change their mind until they're put through the terrible seven-year tribulation, which was yet 2,000 years in the future. So their promised kingdom had been put on hold, not done away with, but put on hold until such time as Israel would acknowledge Jesus. And we know that happens at the end of the tribulation. But in the meantime, he's changed his focus. He's changed his ministry uh, as the Son of God from I'm the King and I'm here with the gospel of the kingdom to I am the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God, and it's the gospel of grace, the gospel of individual salvation. See, under the gospel of the kingdom, Israel would have been brought in as a people, not as individuals. They would have to accept him, but he's talking about the whole, um, whatever number of people would make up that kingdom. It'll be a small number, as we just talked about at the end of the tribulation. Only a third of the living Jews will be counted as worthy of the kingdom, but it'll be a kingdom. All Israel will be saved, whereas here, It's an individual salvation, a personal salvation, because you need to individually believe that Jesus Christ 
came in the flesh, that he is the Son of God, and that he was crucified, he was buried, he was in the ground for three days, and then he was gloriously resurrected and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to tell him, go get your bride. In other words, go get the church and bring her back to my house. And that's what John 14, 1 through 3 is all about, those mansions that Jesus is preparing for us. But this is a big transition here about the Son of God uh, because he's been called the Son of Man by the unbelieving Jews. He's now turned himself, uh, turned his face as the Son of God to the church, and he will now address the church going forward. Um, even though he always has a heart for Israel. Remember, he will never turn his heart totally away from Israel because Israel is God's wife. But the important thing is they've denied him. So now going forward, uh, only people who are part of the church, and of course this is going to open up to the Gentiles. Uh, Until now, in fact, at Pentecost, all the people that made up the church at Pentecost were Jews. And there were people among those believing Jews that believed that the church was only going to be Jews, that the Gentiles were left out of God's plan. And, of course, we know that to definitely not be the case, that the church, uh, certainly through Paul's writings, we know that's made up of Jews and Gentiles. But it's going to be the church as the focus going forward, and Israel will continue to deny him, as they do today, to this very day. They deny any belief in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jews who um, practice their Jewish religion uh, refer to Jesus as that man. They won't even say Jesus Christ because they just uh, abhor the whole idea that he can't be the one that's coming. They're waiting on another person to come as the Messiah. So what I want to do now is transition from this clear pronouncement of Jesus as the Son of God and uh, the profession that anyone makes that he's the Son of God and believes that in this death, burial, and resurrection that he's getting ready to undergo, that they will become members of the church. But the members of the church are still going to be few and far between. But there are other entities, very knowledgeable entities, that also know him as the Son of God. And I want to take us there. So let's go to Acts chapter 8. We're in Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we want to go to Acts chapter 8. And we want to go to verse 37. Um, Well, let me back up. I got ahead of myself. I wanted to share one more scripture here to clearly show you about a person after Um, Matthew 16, after he had transitioned to the gospel of grace, the gospel of personal salvation. So I apologize. I want to take you to one other here before I move over to the evil spirits in Acts chapter, um, uh, or rather we're going to go back to to, um, uh, Matthew. So I don't want to get us mixed up here. So I want to go to verse 37. It's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And he says in verse 37 of Acts chapter 8, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And he said, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So now you see it. And this is my point in going here, was that now it's a personal profession 
a belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is what will save you going forward. And so here's an example in Acts chapter 8 with Philip uh, talking to the Ethiopian eunuch who now wants to be baptized. And he says, I'll do it if you profess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he does. So we see now we've transitioned from the gospel of the kingdom to Israel to now the gospel of grace to anyone, Jew or Gentile, who will profess as Paul, as Peter did in um, Matthew chapter 16, that Jesus is the Son of God. That is what will save you. So now we're going to transition to our Q&A, but remember, and I apologize for getting mixed up there, but we'll go uh, to a passage next where we talk about the evil spirits recognizing Jesus. So let's go to our Q&A, and we are talking about the Holy Spirit, and it was relative to the uh, working of the Holy Spirit in the church, as we picked up last time as we were answering a question from Rich in Indian Springs about if the church is taken out uh, with the, excuse me, if the church is taken out just before the tribulation starts, as we find in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and and Rich actually uh, points that that passage out where it talks about the restrainer being the Holy Spirit. And if the restrainer is taken away so that the Antichrist can be revealed, that means that the church is taken out of the way because the restrainer is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit indwells the church forever, never leaves the church. So if the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, the church has to go with him. And if that's the case, how can people be saved during the tribulation, particularly the tribulation saints that Rich mentions in Revelation 20, verse 4? So we were going through the three groups that are involved in and around the tribulation, and I say in and around because the three groups are the church and then the Gentiles and the Jews who actually go through the tribulation. The church is raptured out before, but it's important to understand the Holy Spirit's dealings with the church, and that's what we've been going through. And we pointed out that uh, when the rapture happens and the church is taken off the earth to heaven with Jesus and our glorified bodies, and we went to Luke chapter 20, verses 34 to 36, to point out that at that point in time, the church is a finite entity, meaning that there will be no procreation because we'll be in our glorified bodies And it tells us in Luke 20 that we will be in that regard like the angels in that there is no uh, marriage, giving in marriage, and there's no procreation because we're in our glorified, perfect bodies. So the church will be a fixed numerical entity at that point, and it will be taken off the earth. And we uh, emphasized the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the church when we finished last time in John chapter 14. We went to John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, where it said that the Holy Spirit would come into the church uh, at Pentecost. Before that, the Holy Spirit was would come on you, but as it was as as was the case all through the Old Testament, and we'll get into this here in a bit, as it was the case in the Old Testament, and up until the time that Jesus went back to heaven that if the Holy Spirit came on you and you turned away from your righteousness, the Holy Spirit would leave you. 
But it says in John 14, verses 16 and 17, that when the church came into creation at Pentecost, we find that in Acts chapter 2, that at that point in time in biblical history, in the biblical flow of things, at that point in time, the Holy Spirit would then indwell a believer in Jesus Christ permanently, would never leave you. You could fall out of fellowship with God. You can't lose your salvation because the Holy Spirit says he'll never leave you, and he is your guarantee of salvation. But you can fall out of fellowship. But when you fall out of fellowship, you ask for forgiveness because the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. That's a key defining attribute of the church is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who indwells you forever. So following the rapture of the church, there are only unrighteous people on the earth at the beginning of the tribulation. Now think about it. If there were any righteous people that weren't taken in the rapture, you know, you have people out there promoting something called the partial rapture theory, and they get that from Matthew chapter 25 with the uh, parable of the ten virgins and the five virgins uh, that are talked about as going into the wedding supper. They were the ones that were the the super Christians that kept their their oil in their lamps, which is another symbol for the Holy Spirit, and therefore they're the ones that go in the rapture. And the other five didn't keep their oil in good supply, and they ran out when um, Jesus came. And therefore, they are going to have to go through the tribulation. Well, that's a total misunderstanding of that passage, and we will get into that um, at some point in time in one of our teaching series. But that is mightily misunderstood, mistaught, uh, that it has nothing to do with the church. It's all about Israel during the tribulation. And you, you gather that very clearly if you follow it all in context. So the, the point being that if there were any, if there were one single righteous person on the earth after the rapture, at the point of the rapture, they would have gone in the rapture. That's the point I want to make. The reason I can say, matter of factly, that there are no righteous people on the earth at the beginning of the tribulation is because if you were righteous, you went in the rapture. So what we have left are unrighteous people. So now, what does God do with these people that are on the earth, these unrighteous people that are on the earth? He begins again, God begins again to offer the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of grace, the gospel of individual salvation stopped with the rapture of the church because it was for the church age. The church age is over. We are now into the tribulation period. So it's now back to a focus on Israel, a focus on Jesus coming back to the earth to judge the world and then to set up his promised kingdom that had been promised all through the Old Testament, that had been offered 2,000 years before and had been denied, it'll be offered again, and now they will accept it. So once the tribulation starts, there's going to be an offer of the gospel of the kingdom again. And in order to accept that gospel, there has to be a Holy Spirit working in your life. And that's what we want to focus on in our next program. In the meantime, remember, 
If we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.